Our Father, we thank You for how You're sustaining us these days. You're giving us courage. You're giving us hope. You're giving us wisdom. You're protecting our flock in unity and harmony. You're deepening us in love for You and love for one another. In days that are so very unusual, we have experienced Your grace in uncommon ways. We thank You. One of the ways in which we have received Your uncommon grace is through Your singular Word. And it is to that Word which we now turn. It is to that Word where we long to find our hope. It is to that Word where we seek our confidence. Father, would You use this Word to give us confidence and hope in You? Would You give us a steadfastness through this Word? Would You produce transformation in us by this Word? And Father, as we look at this Word, would You make us, would You make me faithful to it? so that what we say about this Word will reflect Your truth, Your glory, Your delights. Be accurate in reflecting what it is that You would have us to learn from it. And might Your Spirit apply it in particular ways to each of us. So guide us in the time ahead, we pray, Father, so that You be glorified and we be transformed. We pray in our precious Savior's name. Amen. A number of months ago, as I was reading my Bible one morning, I stumbled across a psalm that that transfixed my soul. As I read through the psalm, I was just struck with wonder and awe and worship at God's grace being revealed repeatedly through that psalm, verse after verse, ministered to my heart and gave me comfort and joy and delight. And as I read through that psalm, I thought, this is a psalm that I need to preach one day. This is, this is a psalm that I need to give particular attention to. And, and I was in the middle of studying a number of other things and knew that I didn't have time that week to examine it with the care that I wanted to. So I, I pulled a sticky note off my desk and I wrote the name of that psalm down and I stuck it to the front of my computer where it would be and where it would sit to, as a reminder to me of, of my desire to study that psalm. Over the last few weeks, as COVID-19 has come, and as we saw ministry being changed in very particular ways, and as we saw people struggling with all kinds of various issues, I realized that I wanted to, to pull out of Romans for a season and, and just think with you about some passages of Scripture that would help us to see the bigness of God, the grandeur of God, the trustworthiness of God, the capability of God, the sufficiency of God to meet us in our need. And it was one day as I was contemplating those themes that I glanced over at my computer and I saw the sticky note on my computer and I thought, let me pull that psalm back out and remind myself of what it, it, what it is and what it says. And as I read through the psalm, I thought, ah, that is a psalm that we need to preach 
in the months ahead as we think about COVID-19. And it is, it is for that reason this morning that we find ourselves in Psalm 103, because it is that psalm that I read all those weeks ago uh, before I ever knew of COVID-19 and knew of what, it, what we would need on this day. As we come to Psalm 103, the editor has placed over that psalm a superscription that says it is a psalm of David. He has not given us any other information beyond that. And we don't know whether or not this actually is a psalm of David. It certainly could be. It, it reads in places very much like a psalm of David. And in fact, as we make our way through it next week particular, particularly, we will be seeing a number of themes that will remind us of Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. Um, as David is reflecting on his sin with Bathsheba, his sin against Uriah, and God's grace in the aftermath of that sin, we will see those kinds of sin, that those kinds of themes. And and so it may be that this is David's psalm, uh, but we certainly don't know with absolute clarity that it is one of his psalms or not. As I mentioned earlier, it is a psalm that is a praise psalm. It's a personal praise. And it fits with the the three other psalms that follow it as also being praise psalms. But it not only fits with them, it also fits as a companion to Psalm 102 that we looked at last week. And so when Psalm 102 is, is this lament psalm, it's a psalm of despair, it's a psalm of anguish, it's a psalm of suffering as the psalmist considers all of the things that have gone wrong in his life. And this psalm pairs so well with it because the psalmist here is directing himself out of his lament and into praise. One commentator says about Psalms 102 and 103, the hope of the preceding psalm has been realized. Sorrow has been turned into joy. Praise and thanksgiving take the place of complaint and supplication. This song that we will sing in Psalm 103 is a song of overwhelming joy. In fact, as I studied it this week and made my way through it, I found myself on numerous occasions through this week being moved to the point of tears over gratitude for God's grace and God's kindness to us. What is particularly remarkable about this psalm is that while it is written in the context of temptation, while it is written in the context of of suffering and in the context of the temptation, the particular temptation of despair, it is not a despairing song. It is a joyful song. It is, it is a praise song in which not the slightest lament or worry or fear or despair is heard. Says one pastor, there are no clouds in the horizon nor notes of sadness in the music of this psalm. No pure outburst of thankfulness enriches the church than this song. As we look this morning at the opening verses, verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 103, we will summarize it this way. When tempted with despondency, the believer always has reason 
to praise God. When difficulty arises, when hard things intrude their way into our lives, when we are tempted to despair, when we are tempted to lament in ungodly ways, this psalm reminds us that there is always a reason to sing with gratitude to God. There's always a reason to give praise to God. There's always a reason to worship the Lord. We always have reason for praise and thanksgiving. With tempted with despondency, the believer always has reason to praise God. Let's listen to this song and let us heed the singular commandment of this song and the reasons that the psalmist gives us for the commandment that he gives us. When tempted with despondency, The believer always has reason to praise God. What is the commandment that the psalmist will give us? There's one great commandment for the despondent soul, and it is praise. The psalmist calls us to praise. We see this in verses 1 and 2. And we see the call to praise because, my friends, there is a temptation to despondency that is a reality. There is a temptation to be despondent that is very real in our souls. We, we understand the temptation to, to despondency because we read in Scripture of despondency. And, and frankly, we live lives. We, we just look around the world and we see the reality of the temptation to despondency. We, we understand from Scripture that, that suffering is a common theme in life. We have seen this repeatedly over the years as we have made our way through Psalm 119, the, the reality of suffering. Psalm 119.50, This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. And there the psalmist reminds us that, that affliction is a normal state of affairs in life. Verse 67 before I was afflicted, I went astray. In other words, I, I was wandering away from you and you brought affliction into my life. Affliction is a normal state of affairs in my life. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. These, these verses affirm repeatedly that affliction, suffering, difficulty, trial is a normal state of affairs in the life of the follower of God. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 107, I am exceedingly afflicted. Verse 153, look upon my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Affliction is normal, and it's not just normal for the psalmist in Psalm 119. The Scriptures are full of the reality of affliction. The Scriptures tell us there will be suffering. The Scriptures tell us that there will be hardship. And there are stories throughout the Scriptures of those who have suffered hardship. And when people are suffering, there is a temptation to become become despondent and despairing, and even to merge into depression. Suffering is commonly observed in our world, isn't it? 
We don't need the Scriptures to tell us that there is suffering, but all we have to do is look around the world and we see suffering. Doctors and hospitals exist because of suffering. Car repair shops exist because of suffering. Bank loan departments exist largely because of suffering and hardship. Counseling ministries and law offices and arbiters and judges and policemen all exist because there is suffering in the world. And when people find themselves in those situations where they have to go to judges or lawyers or arbiters or to the bank for a loan or to the hospital for medical care, there is a temptation to move into lament, to move into despair, to move into despondency. When we suffer, we are tempted to discouragement. We're tempted to become faint-hearted and empty of courage. We know that there is a temptation to despondency because we see it in Scripture, because we see it in life. We, we know that there is a temptation to despondency because we saw it last week in Psalm 102. The psalmist there is physically ill, verse 3. He is skin and bones, verse 5. He is lonely, verse 7. He is ridiculed, verse 8. He is underneath God's wrath, potentially because of his sin. That's verse 10. And all of this led him to lament in his suffering. He's alone. Who will help him? Will God interject into his life? We know that there is a temptation to despondency Because Psalm 103 hints at this reality of suffering and difficulty. Notice verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As as we look at that psalm, as we read those opening verses, we, we see a reminder from the psalmist that we are called to bless the Lord. We are called to praise the Lord. And why does the psalmist call us to praise the Lord except there is a temptation not to praise the Lord? There is a temptation to forget the Lord, as we will see in just a few moments. There is a temptation in in suffering and hardship and despair to lament and say, I give up and there is nothing to praise. And the psalmist is calling us back and saying, there is reason to praise even in the hardship, even in the sorrow. My friends, When this psalmist calls his worshipers to praise, it is a reminder that we have much to give praise for. And even when we are lamenting, even when we are suffering, even when we are in hardship, even when we are in COVID-19, even when we are not in COVID-19 and we are suffering all manner of other ills, which haven't stopped, by the way, have they? And you have other kinds of pressures and other kinds of weights as well. In the midst of those things, there is something for which we can praise the Lord. This psalm, my brothers and sisters, is a glorious and needed antidote to despair. It's an antibiotic for hearts that are infected with despair and discouragement and despondency. It is the medicine that our hearts need when we are weak and suffering and sorrowful. Temptation to despondency is a reality. And when tempted to despondency, we must praise the Lord. We must praise the Lord. Notice verses 1 and 2. He says twice, 
the same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 1. Then again, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then in between those two lines, he has another line that infers the same thing. All that is within me. Bless, and that word, you notice that word bless is in italics. That means that that verb isn't actually there, but it's it's understood from the previous line. The, the psalmist is continuing to build and to say the same thing. He wants us to understand that we need to bless, we need to praise in a particular kind of way. That is, we are to bless His holy name. So on three occasions in these two lines or two verses, the psalmist has called us, to bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless God? What does it mean to bless the Lord? What does it mean to bless Yahweh? It does not mean that we are adding something to God in some way as if we are attributing something to Him that He does not have. It is not to add something to His nature or His character. It is not to ascribe to Him something that is not true of Him. It is not to expand His character or to develop His character or to mature His character in any way. To bless God is simply to acknowledge the power and authority of God that is real within Him. It is to give thanks to Him. It is to praise Him. It is to praise Him for His power and His authority. And it is to express a joyful gratitude as a means of affirming that God is our confidence, that God is our refuge, that God is our safety, that God is our joy, that God is our delight and our satisfaction. It is to say when we bless the Lord that we want Him, we desire Him, and we praise Him and exalt Him more than anything else. It is... It is to affirm in a public manner. It is to declare to the world that even when we are suffering and even when things are hard and even when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, that God is worthy to be affirmed and praised for His goodness. It is, it is to say that God has the character of goodness And it is to say that God is good in all He does and we trust His goodness and His grace. Notice also that this is an imperative. It's a command. It's required. This is not optional. He says, bless, as a command, as an imperative, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is a requirement for every person, in every circumstance, in every place. It is a requirement for the Israelite as he worshipped in Israel some 3,000 years ago when this psalm was written. It is a requirement in the day of Jesus when this psalm was likely sung in the temple. It is a requirement for us today. Though we are not under the Old Testament law, it is still just as much a requirement for us that we bless and praise and honor and exalt the name of the Lord. The fact that God makes this a command also is a reminder to us, though, my brothers, that it is possible to do this. In every circumstance, it is possible to praise the Lord. In every circumstance, it is possible to give thanks to Him. 
In fact, this, this psalm that follows a profoundly sad song is a profoundly joyful song. In fact, as we make our way through this song over the next two weeks, we will find that the psalmist does not make one single request of God. All the way through the psalm, we find merely repeated affirmations of the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. This song is profoundly joyful. It is a psalm where admiring gratitude, says one commentator, admiring gratitude shines through every line of the psalm. Every line we will find immense gratitude. So he he not only calls us to praise, he not only reminds us that it is possible in every circumstance to praise, but he also exemplifies for us and demonstrates how we might praise God. It is possible to praise in despondent circumstances, not only because we have been called to praise, but notice that we have been called to praise in a very particular kind of way. Notice what he says, praise the Lord. That is, our praise is not general. Our praise is specific. It is to the Lord. Or more literally, you notice that that word Lord is in small capital letters, which means it's the covenant name of God. It's the name Yahweh. It's the name by which God has revealed himself to his people. It's it's the name that he uses of himself more than any other name in the Old Testament, a name that is used more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's the unique name of God, Yahweh. And he says... You are to bless me as the covenant God of Israel, as the faithful God of Israel. You bless me. It is that name that he uses throughout the Old Testament. It is that name that he uses in these 22 verses 11 times of the Lord. We find it in verse 1. We find it in verse 2. As we get to the end of the psalm, verses 19 through 22, we'll see it five times in those verses. We also find it in verse 6. The Lord, Yahweh, performs righteous deeds. Verse 8, the Lord, Yahweh, is compassionate and gracious. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17, the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Over and over from beginning of the psalm through the middle of the psalm to the end of the psalm, the psalmist is reminding us that our worship, our praise, our gratitude is to terminate on Yahweh, the one who is faithful to keep covenantal promises to the nation of Israel. He is grand and glorious. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He is capable of all things. He is trustworthy in all things. And our praise is to terminate on Him above all else. We give thanks for other things, certainly, but our praise terminates on Him above all else. The second line also affirms this. Notice what he says, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. 
To bless his holy name means that I am blessing and praising and affirming that what God is doing is holy, it is right, and it is good. God has has not acted against his holy nature. He is being consistent with all that he is is eternally. His providential actions are right when he brings a virus or when he brings a cancer or when he empties our bank accounts. When relationships are broken, God is still on his throne. He is still sovereign and everything he is working in our lives is for his glory and for our good. He does not work anything in our lives to our detriment. Everything he does to us and for us is for our good. He is a holy God. He can do nothing other. Friends, can I just ask you a question? Are you and I being intentional in cultivating praise when we are tempted to despair? Let me let me just share with you a personal example. Today we are recording our eighth worship service during COVID-19. For an eighth time, I'm standing and speaking these words in an empty sanctuary. And it shouldn't be this way. This is not what we are created for. We are not created for separation. We are created as a body of believers to be together and to be gathered. And as I have, as I have finished these recordings on numerous occasions, I've had to go to my office because I've been on the verge of tears. My, my heart is, is weeping and longing and broken. And as I've read through this psalm this week, I've had to ask myself the question, Terry, are you in the midst of something that feels so wrong? And when you are on the verge of tears and when you are, when you are moving into sadness and grief and sorrow and maybe moving beyond that into despondency, are you being intentional? To praise God. Because there is praise for the Lord that is becoming of Him in this circumstance. In these days when we are tempted to to grief and sorrow and longing. There is an ability to praise Him. My friend, are you and I being intentional to cultivate praise of the Lord. When tempted to despondency, we must, we must praise Yahweh. And it is possible to praise Him. These verses also expand this one great commandment this way. When tempted to despondency, we must preach to ourselves. We must preach to ourselves. Have you noticed who the psalmist is speaking to in this psalm? It is very typical that in the psalms that that the psalmist speaks to the Lord. In fact, Psalm 104 that we read earlier, he turns and does address the Lord and speaks of Him. 
And other psalms speak to those who are worshipers and calls other worshipers to respond to God in a particular way. But this psalm does not address the Lord. This psalm does not address other worshipers. Notice what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He is addressing himself. He is looking inwardly at himself. He is giving a command to himself. He is reminding himself that it is possible that he must give praise to Yahweh. And and this psalm reads very much like Psalms 42 and 43 that do the very same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, why are you in despair within me? And notice he says, not only is he calling to his own soul, but notice the second line in verse 1, all that is within me. That's everything that is within him. It is his entire inner man. It is his inner being. It is, it is his thought life. It is his desires. It is what he is longing for. It is the decisions he's making. It's the things he's meditating on. It's the things he's longing for. It's, it's all of his desires and all of his loves. And he says, all of that, all of his inner man, the totality of his inner being, not just the words that come from his lips, but everything that makes up who he is, all of his inward man is to bless Yahweh. This is to say, I dare not show up for worship and just mutter the words that I know are need to be, need to be said. But, but these words need to flow out of my inner being as a reflection of who I really am. That not only do I sing praise, but I am praising within my heart. This is not a literary device by the psalmist. It is not a superficial statement. My friends, he is battling for his heart. He is a counselor who is diagnosing the condition of his own heart. He sees that his heart is inclined to go the wrong direction and he is pointing himself to the truth and to righteousness. And notice that the psalmist, we've already alluded to this, does this by saying three times, bless the Lord. But notice, not only does he say in verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But but jump down to the end of the psalm, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you His angels. Verse 21. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts. Verse 22. Bless the Lord, all you works of His. He begins the psalm with a threefold call to praise God. And he ends the psalm with a threefold call to praise God. What's the psalm about? It is a psalm about praise. It is a psalm that reminds us that in all things, all people, in all places, everywhere, are always called to praise the Lord. Praise of the Lord is not only becoming for the believer. Praise of the Lord is essential for the believer. Do you know what your heart needs today? Your heart, like mine, needs to be reminded to praise the Lord. Are you like the psalmist, preaching that message to yourself, reminding yourself when you are despairing, whether it's COVID-19 or anything else, 
When you're despairing, when you're despondent, are you reminding yourself to praise the Lord? My friends, what are you, what are you speaking in your heart? What are you saying in your soul? When it's just you, you and the Lord, what are you saying? How are you counseling yourself? How are you directing yourself? What are you saying to yourself? What are you preaching to yourself? I've quoted this numerous times and I've given you the extended quote on the outline for this message. But Martin Lloyd-Jones in his outstanding book, Spiritual Depression, is exactly right. Listen to what he says in chapter 1. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? And then you must go on to remind yourself of who, of God, of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. And then having done that, end on this note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. My brothers, my sisters, we must preach to ourselves that we must praise God and that there is always reason to praise God. We always have room for praise of God. It is becoming, it is essential, and it is always possible to praise Him. When tempted to despondency, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of one of our most basic tasks, and that is, To praise the Lord. And that reminder is where he goes now at the end of verse 2. When tempted to despondency, we must remember not to forget. Our poor brains are so fallible and weak, aren't they? A couple of years ago, I remembered one afternoon that I had a meeting later in that afternoon and that um, I had forgotten to contact the person that I was having the meeting with, and I said, I'm so sorry, I should have, I should have texted you this morning, but, um, but we have a meeting, uh, this afternoon, and, and I know I should have reminded you earlier, but, but are you still gonna be able to make that meeting? And I'm so sorry that I didn't call you or, or text you sooner. A few minutes later, he texted me back and said, you forgot you remembered. You, you texted me two days ago to remind me of the meeting, and yes, I will be there. Isn't that the way our minds work or isn't that the way our minds don't work? We're so prone to forgetfulness. We're so prone to, to forget what we're called to do, what we're required to do. We, even when we write things down in our daytimers or on our Google calendars, we, we are prone to forgetting those things. But friends, here's something we must not forget. Here is something we dare not forget. You notice the end of verse 2? 
and forget none of his benefits. The psalmist reminds himself, you dare not forget any of the benefits of God and what he has done for you. When he says, do not forget his benefits, he is not simply addressing the the tendency towards absent-mindedness. He is talking about apathy about God. He is speaking about carelessness about God. He is talking about ignoring God. He is, he is talking about deliberately ignoring God and pretending that God has not given him all that he needs. It is to suppose that the psalmist has what he has out of his own work and out of his own labors and God is disconnected from that that God has not graced him with the things that he has graced him with in his life, that all the good he has is from the hand of God, and all the bad he, that all the good he has is not from the hand of God, and all the bad he has is from the hand of God. It is, it is a forgetfulness of the essential nature of God's character. It is, in fact, the very opposite of the praise of God. And my friends, we must not allow ourselves to go there. The psalmist reminds himself, even before reminding us, that we must not forget who God is. We must not forget his graces, his benefits, his kindnesses in our lives. And how will we remember that? In verses 3 through 5, he gives us five reasons, five compelling reasons to remember to praise God always. Five things to remind us, five realities, five truths to remind us always that praise is becoming, that praise is possible. One of the things I've done during COVID-19 is to build in my prayer journal a thank list. It's, It's the kind of things for which I am thankful in the midst of these days just to remind me of God's faithfulness, of his sustenance to us. And then whenever I add something to the list, then I go back and read through and pray through that entire list so that my my whole heart is moved towards gratitude and wonder over God's kindnesses. And when we build those kinds of lists, it's really tempting to put things on there like, thank you, Lord, for for chicken being at the grocery store today. Thank you for toilet paper being at the grocery store today. Thank you that I have not gotten COVID-19 yet. Thank you for a house that is safe. Thank you for a wife that is a gracious companion. And, And it's appropriate to give thanks for those kinds of things. But friends, we dare not make those our terminal aspects of gratitude. Because those things are all temporal. Those are things that that will go away or may go away. It is, it is, it is a reality that someday there may not be chicken at the grocery store or there may not be toilet paper at the grocery store or I may get COVID-19 or I may get cancer or I may have a car accident or my wife and I might have conflict or we might have serious conflict. We may become estranged from one another. We may become estranged from our children or our grandchildren or other family members or I might lose my job. And friend, if those... If those are the terminal reason for our gratitude, then all hope is lost. We dare not make those things terminal. We must find other things for which to praise Yahweh. And that is exactly where the psalmist turns in verses 3 through 5. The first reason he gives us is in verse 3. 
Why should we praise God always? Because, my friends, He forgives our sins, who pardons all your iniquities. He washes our sins. He cleanses us. In fact, He removes our sin. We'll see this next week. Notice verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. The penalty of our sin is removed from us at an infinite distance. In fact, we understand from the New Testament that the power of sin is removed in an equal way from us as well. We don't have to sin. He has removed the iniquity from us. He takes it away. He pardons us. And notice that the psalmist says he pardons all your iniquities. Not a few, not some, not even most. He pardons all your iniquities. My friends, the list of my sins is immensely long. The things that I have done is, is a, a tragic and tragically long list of sins. And, and the list of, of desires and ungodly desires and faulty motivations is almost infinitely long. So many things that I have done against the Lord. And isn't that, isn't it that way for all of us? And notice what the psalmist says. He's forgiven all of it. He's removed all of it. Our sin has killed us and He has wiped it away. I can't help but think if this is a Davidic psalm of Psalm 32 where the psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's almost as if David in Psalm 32 is just overwhelmed. I can't believe it. You forgave my guilt. That doesn't mean, my friends, we aren't sinners. We are. We still have the flesh. We we still wrestle with sin. But this means He no longer treats us as sinners. He has not given us what we deserve. Notice verses 9 and 10. He will not always strive with us. He will not keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Our sin means He could have cast us into hell eternally and He has not done it. He has not rewarded us. Parentheses. Verse 10, with the penalty of sin that comes in accordance with our iniquities. Oh, brothers and sisters, He has forgiven our sins. Why should you praise God? Because my brother and my sister, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven all your sin. Because, verse 3, He heals all. All our sinful diseases. 
who heals all your diseases, he says. Some, uh, many actually, have suggested that this little phrase, he heals all your diseases, speaks about physical healing. And the word diseases has a broad range of usage in the Old Testament, and it does sometimes refer to the healing of of physical diseases or the presence of physical diseases, but it also sometimes will refer to spiritual diseases and spiritual sin and the things that happen to us spiritually that disease uh, our soul or make our souls sick. And notice that the psalmist here says he heals all your diseases. The reality is is that not all of our physical diseases do get healed. There are diseases that kill us. There are diseases that we suffer with all of our lives. There are things that God chooses in His sovereign wisdom not to heal us from physically, but that is not true spiritually. He heals us of everything that afflicts us spiritually. And not only does He... Not only does He remove the iniquity, remove the sin from us, but He heals us of our sin. He restores us so that we can do righteous acts. And it's it's that reality that that I think the psalmist is looking at here, that that he takes the sin-sick soul, takes the sin away, and then infuses it with righteousness so that the sinner can do righteous things. He does for us spiritually the very kind of thing that he on occasion does for people physically. I was reading this week in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John healed a lame man. Remember that? Verse 7, he says, Seizing him by seizing the lame man by the right hand, Peter raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He is, my friends, jumping for joy. And he is that way not simply because the the lameness was taken away, but full strength to his legs was granted to him and he was restored. And friends, that is exactly what happens to us spiritually. Our souls are restored to full strength spiritually so that we can do the things that God has called us to do. He rehabilitates sinners and he makes us useful. He heals all of our sinful diseases. Verse 4, He redeems us from death and hell. Who redeems, verse 4a, who redeems your life from the pit. The, The word redeems has the sense of a reclamation. God's person is reclaimed from the pit. And that word pit, is often used in the Old Testament as a synonym for Sheol. And Sheol could either be a reference to death in general or the place where dead people go or even more specifically the place where unrighteous dead people go, that is, to hell. And it is it is that which I think the psalmist has in mind here, that he not only forgives our sins, he not only heals us, but he... He reaches into hell and He pulls us out of hell and redeems us. Friend, He not only takes us from perpetual and eternal death in hell, but He grants to us eternal life instead. This is the Old Testament affirmation of eternal life. 
I have never had any life-threatening illnesses. But when I was six years old, on one occasion, I went to my cousin's home and we were out playing later in the evening where we shouldn't have been and it was dark and we were doing some things that we shouldn't have been doing and and I was trying to keep up with my cousin and he had run across the street and so I delayed just a moment longer and I looked very quickly and said, I can make it across the street, but I never made it across the street. And a car that was coming hit me and I was sent to the hospital. And in those moments... Um, as a parent, my folks were wondering, what, what in the world is going on and what's happened and what will happen to him and will he be okay? And in God's grace, within, a, within about a week or so, I was recovered from those illnesses and those weaknesses. But friends, there are weaknesses, there are diseases, there are injuries that happen to us, to our souls that are eternal in nature from which we cannot heal ourselves on our own. And this verse is a reminder that God it has, as it were, reached into our coffins and He has pulled us out of the coffin of death, out of, out of the reality of hell, and He has granted to us a brand new life. Well, friend, do you have reason to praise God? If you are alive in Christ, you have a magnificent reason to praise God. You were dead. And he brought you to life. Not only has he reached into that coffin and yanked you out and made you alive. But verse 4 also tells us that he crowns our lives with grace. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Like crowning a king. God crowns our lives with his grace. He uses two words to denote that grace. Loving kindness is is God's faithful love or His loyal love. It's a word that's used very frequently in the Old Testament to denote God's grace and His faithfulness to that grace and to us. And it's very often paired with that word compassion. It's, It's God's mercy. It's God's pity on us. God looks at us and says, "This is this is a people that has such great need. And, and I am going to put on them my loyal love. Friends, God has not only brought us to life, but He has treated us with a grace that is fitting of kingship. It is, it is interesting, isn't it? That if this is a Psalm of David, that King David says that He crowns us with these things. He's not only brought us to life, but He's positioned us on a throne. And on that throne, He has poured over us grace upon grace upon grace. John 1.16, He has given us grace upon grace, overflowing, superabounding, superabundant grace. My dad has said that what God does for us, many times He has said, is not only gives us the peanut butter of our lives, He not only gives us the things that we need, but He puts jelly on it too. Friends, that's that's the grace that He crowns us with. He's not only given us life, but friends, He has given us every single thing we need for life. He crowns our lives with grace. And then notice this in verse 5. He satisfies us in all things. Who satisfies 
your years with good things. That word years is a, is a difficult word to translate. Uh, more literally, it means something like ornaments. He ornaments our, ornaments us with good things. Different Jewish commentaries and different Jewish texts have, have understood that word in a variety of ways. Some of them have given translations something like years. Others have rendered it as something like cheeks or mouth. And we don't really know exactly what the psalmist is getting at with that particular term, but what he is trying to say is abundantly clear, and that is that God gives us everything we need to be satisfied in Him. He gives us whatever good we need so that He will be satisfied to us. He gives us good like He renews the strength of an eagle, and the eagle is is a picture of, of strength and vitality and newness of life. There's a power and authority in an eagle. And, and in the very same way that a, an eagle has life, so God grants to us and renews our lives in him with satisfaction that will sustain us in all things and everywhere. You'll be given strength. You'll be given sufficiency so that God will be satisfying to you. What will satisfy you today? What will meet the longing of your heart today? Will it be for you, um, perhaps like it's going to be at my house this afternoon, that that um, a nicely grilled medium rare steak is your satisfaction? Or perhaps a piece of grilled salmon is your satisfaction? Or a haircut? Or a visit from the grandkids? Or a new job? or a healthy bank account balance, or no more restrictions on your activity. These things, these things might be enjoyable, but friends, we don't need them to be satisfied. We have in God everything we need to be satisfied eternally. He is enough. Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us that Christ is all and He is in all. Christ is all-sufficient. He is adequate in all things, in all circumstance, and for all people, all believers equally. Every believer has the fullness of Christ, and the fullness of Christ is completely adequate for every believer. Can you be satisfied with God as your inheritance? The psalmist says you can. He is our ultimate inheritance. The gospel gets us to Him. The gospel gives us Him. And He is satisfying. Have you noticed what the psalmist has done in this psalm? He's given us five reasons to praise God. He's he's reminded us that we should praise. And then He's given us five reasons to praise. But did you notice how He is building on these Starts with forgiveness and he moves to healing and restoration and then he moves to life and then he moves to the, to the provision of all grace and the crowning gifts of grace in our lives and then the ultimate satisfaction that is God himself. Everything we need is in him. The psalmist has reminded us that no matter where we are, we have reason to praise him. Today, on Mother's Day, 
in COVID-19, in financial hardship, perhaps with loss of job, perhaps with a variety of relational disappointments, my brothers and sisters, you have reason to praise God. You can praise God in your circumstances, but ultimately you can praise God for Him in your circumstances. And it is that to which He has called us. We have abundant, infinite hope for praise. In every circumstance of our lives today, give praise to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Our Father, we thank You for this reminder. We need it. We need to be reminded that we should praise You. We must praise You. We can praise You. Would You give us joy in that, even this morning, even this day, even in our separation, even in our longing to be restored together, even in all of the other hardships that we have, would You lead us to a praise of You that is becoming of You that is persistent in, it, in finding its delight in you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.